Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the longest-running cricket podcast in Australia. I'm Menas, and it is our wrap of the first day of the Test Summer, Australia versus Pakistan from the Perth Test. I'm joined by cricket writer Jono Baruch. Jono, it was kind of what we expected. Australia dominated. They finished 5 for 346, and overall, a good start for the Aussies. G'day, men. It's great to be back with you. Um, happy first day of the Test Summer. And as you said, it's pretty much what we expected it to be. It was um, a bit of everything Pakistan and Australia dominating as everyone probably thought that they would. But I think to Pakistan's credit, they kind of pulled it back a little bit, especially with how ugly it was looking at lunch. Yeah, you're right. A couple of late wickets to Pakistan have sort of kept them in the context. But let's go back to the beginning of play. And Australia won the toss and elected to bat. And the team was as yeah. expected as for Australia. They announced the side the day before the test. And there were no surprises there. The only change from the last test is Nathan Lyon coming back into the team now that he's fit. But for Pakistan, two debutants, Amir Jamal and Karim Shazad, both made their debuts, two medium paces. Interestingly, no specialist spinner. I think when Abra Ahmed got injured, Jono, they decided not to go with a spinner. Yeah, well, it kind of says a little bit about the their faith in um, Norman Ali, who ha- hasn't played many, many tests outside the subcontinent, and Sajid Khan, the replacement that they flew over in place of... Um, Abra Ahmed. So I think that really unsettled them. And even then, it's always nice for a debutant to play test cricket. And it's always a nice moment when the debutant gets their first um gets their first wicket. But it, it was it was just very weird to me, man. As you come to Australia, you haven't won a game in Australia for a long time since the mid-90s. And probably your best chance is trying to unsettle them. And 
to do that, you need to pick your most experienced attack. So you've got Shine Shafridi as your leader. And then one would think you'd pick the likes of Hassan Ali, who's got over 70 test wickets, and Mohammed Wasim Jr., who's had a pretty good 12 months in the in the test match sphere. But no, they went for two debutants instead. So it, it felt like a very Pakistan day full of lots of decisions and some rogue fielding, which I'm sure will get to as we get through the day but even from the outset and the toss and once Australia won the toss and said that we were going to bat you just it looked like it was going to be a big batting day for Australia and that's exactly what it was yeah it was so Australia got out there having won the toss and it was a frenetic start to the innings Australia scored 14 runs off the first over and it, it, I really thought that David Warren had gone out there with the intention to play it almost like a white ball game, obviously under intense pressure, so much scrutiny on Warner's position, and then he um, was able to just get off to a fast start. I wouldn't say he was lucky. He was certainly a little bit streaky. But once Australia got away, that first session really seemed to rattle the Pakistan attack and it was what we've come to expect from Kawaju and, and Warner, just very solid. They batted through the first session, putting on over 100. Warner was going at over a runner ball for the first session, and he just hit Pakistan off, off their line, and that's why he's so effective. That's why he scored uh, so many test centuries, and I, I just thought that was, you know, classic stuff from Warner and Kawaja, both, pl- both players under pressure, but for different reasons, Jono. Yeah, it was your classic David Warner starts of the game and turned into the classic David Warner innings, you know, get out of the blocks. Although you, you mentioned the first over, it was Kwaja that was the aggressor in that first over with some absolutely trademark, some beautiful shots there. Um, but that first session, you know, it was a great start from David Warner. He was aided by some poor bowling from Pakistan. I mean, we spoke about their seamers just before. Shane Shafridi is meant to be the senior bowler in this attack, and he went he went around the park in his first spell. Didn't really bowl well. It was um, Shazad who really set the tone, the debutant from the other end. And then, as you said, you move through the first session. Well, like that didn't really look like um, getting a wicket aside from that one chance, which was spilled by um, Shafiq when Kawaja locked one in the air. Um, it was a pretty chanceless first session. So it was. You, you kind of went in there at lunch. I don't know what you were thinking, Menes, but you're kind of thinking think, thinking Australia could put 400 on, on them today and they won't be many down. Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And after the lunch break, Pakistan did perform a lot better and stopped it from getting really, really ugly. And you mentioned that catch from Shafiq. That was, that was a... A bad miss. You've got to take everything if you're Pakistan. You need to try and get into the game somehow. And also, you know, Warner was dropped later on after he got past the century. And those little chances really didn't help mm-hmm. Pakistan with such an inexperienced attack. Kawaja is out five overs after the, the lunch break. He was out, caught behind for 41 off Shaheen Afridi. Nice innings. He laid the foundations and that brought Manus Labashane to the crease. And he batted well, but he was out just for 16, caught in front of, of the bowling of Fahim Ashraf. A good delivery, cut back into him. He reviewed it, but it was crashing into the stumps. That was a decent delivery. And one thing I did notice was after lunch, there was a bit more seam movement for some reason. I think Pakistan were bowling in better areas and they were getting more out of the pitch. And that augurs well for when Australia gets the ball. 
Yeah, as we said, we think Pakistan's bowling improved throughout the day. So they were were nowhere in the first session. Then after lunch, particularly in the first five or six overs after lunch, when they got the wicket of um, Kawash, they really, they, they improved their length and improved their line. So really... The one that the ball that the ball that Shaheed bowled to Kwaja, which was able to tail away, he nicked off straight to Safraz Ahmed, was a fantastic delivery. And it was part, it was something that Pakistan hadn't been able to do. And still, you really look up until the third session, really, which was pile on sustained pressure for to, to the Australian batters so they would go and nick off. So it was a good piece of bowling there from Shaheen and then from Fahim as well. But I don't we just we just said they haven't really been able to sustain pressure and all the Australian batters who got in and got out. So aside from Warner, really, you know, Clash uh, made a forty. Lavashane didn't get out of the teens. Um, Steve Smith, who will come to shortly, made a nice thirty. Travis had motored along to forty. It's kind of a bit like they'll look at it and know that they left runs out there, um, which is probably which will be the most frustrating thing for them. So. While I think Australia, you'd probably say they're about 40 runs away from having enough runs to maybe not even having to bat again in this test match. Um, they'll be looking at it and say, well, we definitely left runs out there. It just underlines what a good effort from Warner it was because uh, Steve Smith joined Warner out there and then Warner went on to bring up his 26th test century. It came off just 125 balls. He did a bit of a, a shush celebration, um, you know, sort of uh, directed at all the detractors uh, up in the media centre. And it was his sixth uh, test century versus Pakistan. He w- eventually went past 150, and that was the seventh time in test cricket he's done that. And also it was a record-breaking innings for Warner. He went past Matt Hayden and uh, Michael Clark in the highest run scoring charts for Australia. So now Warner is the fifth highest test run scorer. It, it, what I like about this innings, Jono, was it was it underlined what's good about Warner is when he gets going, he cashes in and makes big scores. And this is a, a test changing innings. But it'll also just uh, silence all this stuff about will he get to Sydney or won't he? This score means he will. We can uh, stop talking about it and uh, move on. He's probably the best tone setter in the history of cricket. And I think it's why the conversation around who's going to potentially replace Warner or when should that replacement come in for Warner has been so fierce because it, it sounds to me, and we'll get your take on this as well, it sounds to me that the Australian selectors aren't really sold on any of the replacements and yet this one is so he's always had that fighting spirit of like i'll show you or if some if someone's on my back you know i'll i'll show you which is exactly what he did with this celebration today which i absolutely loved is like i'll let my bat do the talking i'll come out i'll kind of i'll counter punch i'll fight that's what warren has been doing his whole career when he's almost always had detractors against him at every single point in his career. I think it really underlines the fact to the Australian cricket loving public and the um, cricket landscape is that they don't have anyone in domestic cricket like him who can come in, set the tone straight away. And as you rightly said, men is um, cashes in more often than not. Like he's 
what he's he's second to Matt Hayden, wow. Hayden to, and Vera de Sawag in terms of um, openers who have gone on to score big hundreds. So more often than not, he's gone and set the tone for Australia to get them off to a fast start, which allows the rest of the order to come in and do what they do. And we'll get to the two that are at the crease now who probably do need some runs, one of them in particular, but it just allows the rest of the Australian order to relax a little bit and just gets them into the test match. Yeah, it was phenomenal stuff from Warner. And it was actually his 49th international century for Australia. And that is the second most of any Australian batter. He's just behind Ricky Ponting, who made a whopping 70 centuries for Australia. But that really puts into context how Warner, how good Warner has been across all three formats. Uh, the number three in the list is Steve Smith with 44 international centuries for Australia. So, you know, Warner with 49, knocking on the door of 50 international hundreds. That's just an incredible effort. And uh, he was just eventually dismissed for 164, but it was it was fantastic stuff. Um, So Steve Smith was out there. I thought Smith looked good. He got to 31. And then uh, Shazad got his first test wicket, and there was the big man Smith caught by um, the keeper Ahmed, and that sent Smith back. And it was a good over to him from Shazad. He bowled a lot of balls, ducking into Smith, and then got one to go away. But it sort of underlines to me what I've seen throughout this year from Smith is he can get starts, but he's actually sort of getting out in kind of sloppy fashion. You, you know, Smith three, four years ago, he'd never just sort of play that ball outside off stump. Yeah, he alluded to it a couple of days before. Top couple, yeah, sorry about that. He alluded to it a couple of days ago that he felt himself. He hadn't really had his best year. He made that 100 of Lords. And, but otherwise, it's been a, a 100 in the World Test Championship final. But otherwise, it's been a pretty quiet year. And as you said, he kind of did his, he kind of did this thing again when he, he raced to 20 and then slowed right down and got caught a little bit and then got, found out nicking nicking a ball going away from him, which has kind of been his undoing a, a little bit in the last, um, I'd say, 12 months or so. So, yeah, it's weird. And, you, you again, you kind of look at what this summer is going to be for this giant batters, where it's going to be a bit of fill your boots a little bit. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Again, he'll feel like he missed out whether he gets a chance to bat again in this test match. We'll wait and see. But... Um, he'll be disappointed, and knowing Steve Smith, he'll probably punish punish himself tonight in his hotel room. <laughs> he'll be shadow batting right now as we record this. Travis Head came out and made a breezy forty. It was glorious stuff. Carried on from that World Cup final form, but then he was out to Jamal. That was Jamal's first Test wicket, and you, you have to say this was a soft dismissal. He just steered it straight down third third's throat, and uh, a lovely forty from Head and. He was out with the score on 304, and until he got out, that's where Australia was probably dreaming about just rollicking along to 400 for the day. But he got out, and then not long after, David Warner was out, caught in the deep for 164. That left Australia at five for 321. And then Mitch Marsh and Alex Carey uh, saw things through stumps. Mitch Marsh is 15, not out. Carey, 14, not out. And certainly Australia's day, as you said at the top, those late wickets from Pakistan have sort of given them a, a sniff, I guess, if they could crash through Australia in the morning and keep them under 400. But but overall, 
dominant day for Australia. And you'd expect from here they'd get above 450, which would give them a controlling hand in the match. Yeah, 100%. There was a little bit of interest late, particularly when Pakistan took the new ball, thinking if Shane could get through one or two, it would still be Australia's day, but Pakistan would be right in the test match. And then they'd probably be dreaming of getting them seven down. It's the bowlers tomorrow morning. If you can knock them over for under 400, then they're right back in the game. And all of a sudden we're thinking that. No, I think we're now where it's more that the Australian batters will come in tomorrow and Marsh and, Marsh and Carey will bat probably Mitch Marsh's first test um, first test at home since um, 2017. So it's been a long time coming for him to have a nice big bat in front of his home crowd. Um, he'll, he'll be wanting to make some runs. He'll be wanting to cement his, cement his spot. And Alex Carey was... He's on shaky ground in the international team. He's lost his spot in the T20 in one day side. Um, we know Australia like having the same keeper across formats, even though English isn't in the test squad at the moment. Um, but he's only really had one shield innings carry. So he's in desperate need of some time in the middle too. So if he goes early tomorrow morning, um, it just might keep some walls a bit barking there. And I sense this is a summer menace where, the stories are going to come mainly from around the team off field, not necessarily what happens on the field, given the opposition that's going to be out here. Mind you, we are hoping that Pakistan do put up an incredible fight and knock Australia over cheaply tomorrow and then bat brilliantly. So we do have a contest, but there's just little subplots everywhere you look. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's keep an eye on those tomorrow morning. A few little things before we wrap this up. In the lead-up to this test match, a significant move was made in the leadership group for Australia. Travis Head was named co-vice-captain. This has happened before, back when Justin Langer was coach. They named a few co-vice-captains. Head was one of them. Hazelwood was one of them. Both of them ended up getting dropped from different formats after being named co-vice-captain. So I hope it goes better for Travis Head this time. But I think that is a significant nod that Travis Head will probably be the next test captain after Pat Cummins hangs up the boots. Uh, Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think it's um, definitely the nod that they made. Well, Steve Smith's not going to do it again. Um, I think we've said it a few times that we're not expecting Mitch Marsh to be in the test team for a long time, even though he might go on a spec- have a spectacular summer and nice little run. But he's, he's he'll probably well- be the white ball yeah, captain. He'll definitely, he'll, I think he'll definitely be the white ball captain. He's already the T20 captain and will lead Australia at that next World Cup, but if you're looking at it from you want a youngish guy to take over the test team, well, Travis said looks like the way to go and probably wasn't ready for leadership when he was first thrust into the vice-captaincy of, of that Australian side, even though he's been captaining South Australia for a while. But you look at the type of cricketer that he is now, he's had the year of his life, is in the form of his life, and it looks like it's just a natural next next step for him. So... It's a good summer to get him in, and particularly if um, if Pat Cummins goes off the field or Steve Smith needs the captain and Travis Head has to make some decisions, or they're both off the field. At least he's got that. Um, at least he's got that authority now. Indeed. The other uh, bit of note, uh, there was a crowd of over 16,000 for day one of the Perth test, which I guess wasn't disastrous, but wasn't particularly strong. So sort of a middling crowd, and. Uh, 
Cameron Green was on um, Channel 7 at the lunch break and he revealed that he has a con- kidney condition and he only has about 60% functional- functionality of his kidney and it can make him prone to cramping. Uh, quite brave of him, I thought, Jono, to reveal that to the public and uh, his parents were on there. And I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if it's going to affect his cricket, but you know, pretty brave to reveal that condition. Yeah, very brave. And I mean, obviously now it's been something that he's been battling through all his life. And it's something that he and other athletes do when they've got a cause and they've got a platform to be able to champion their cause. They they use it for, for good and not evil. So mm. it's um, fair, fair play to Cameron for coming out and hopefully this raise awareness and for this um, sounds like a horrible disease and it can he keeps managing himself but if you look at his career to date so far I mean as it looks like he's doing a great job and just needs to keep looking after himself exactly talking about cricket is um doing good and bad stuff uh, I have to touch on Usman Khawaja's performance in the lead up to this test match before we sign off and look, I don't want to get into it too heavily because it's a very weighty topic and that is my chief criticism of Khawaja I think he's very naive to think he can just throw around all these statements playing for Australia and not going to receive the sort of blowback he has received. And, yeah, that's my only comment towards Kawaja. He's been very naive about the whole situation. He's thrown around a few things that um, aren't true. And probably he should be more cautious in future if he wants to weigh in on these very, very serious matters. What do you think, Jono? Yeah, it's it's difficult to chat about menace considering our um considering how invested we are in the causes um talking about you know oh look i love usman collage i love his cricketing story and his resilience i also love his personal story and everything he stands for and we just spoke about cricketers using their platform to champion a cause and he's one of the most impressive athletes in the way he handles himself with class and grace and to be able to champion the cause. Um, look, for, for what it's worth, I I had no issue with the message he wanted to put in his shoes that the ICC had blocked. Um, I agreed with him. You know, freedom is a human right. Um, my issue largely stems from when Usman decided to open his mouth and who he referred to. And, like, look, it's quite a... As we, as you said, it's a meaty topic. It's a um, yeah, but, but you emotion, know you say that, it's an emotional topic. Yeah, but you say that putting you know freedom is a human right. I mean, it's a bit you know that's like some college student who just throws around these you know ideals and mm. you know irresponsibly without thought and no looking no looking at context or no looking at you know broader historical uh, you know facts and and that's my point. Like yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know. Um, it's, it's easy to say those things, but I think you've got to be careful why why you say them and where you direct them. No, a hundred percent. You have to be careful. And it, as I said, it's clearly an emotional topic for, for him. It's an emotional topic for me. It's an emotional topic for um, a lot of people. I, the the one thing that grated on me really was the, the if you look at the, never mind the subliminal messaging, behind it and if you listen to his um heartfelt um post on his social media um 
it, it was very clear who he was referring to. While he did mention a lot of race, a lot of race groups um, in his monologue, monologue, which I thought he articulated quite nicely, um, it was very clear that he was particularly mentioning and referring to one group of people in who, who was mentioning one group of people. Um, so if that's been blocked now from the ICC. What's going to happen when the West Indies come out and both countries are taking a knee for Black Lives Matter? Is that considered a political um, thing and will be blocked? It's a slippery slope. It's it a slippery slope. But it's part of context. I mean, there's a war going on and that's the reality. Um, so... Uh, I just, I just, anyway, I just think Kawaja was naive. He, and you talk about that Instagram video. I mean, to me, it looks like he's been reading his Twitter feed and believing everything he's been saying and not actually doing much more analysis. So anyway, I don't want to get stuck into it because we could be here for another hour talking about this. Forever. But, uh, um, you know, like you, I admire Kawaja. I'm not one of those people that thinks cricketers just have to stick to cricket. But I, as I said, in this situation, I think Kawaja was naive. He was a little bit dumb and he probably, the blowback was he got what he deserved. Um, all right, Jono, thanks for wrapping up day one. Action packed. The story today is David Warner. This is a triumph for him. His farewell summer, he's, he's, done what we all knew he could do and were hoping he could do, which was make that big score in front of the his home supporters. And look, whatever happens now for the rest of this summer, he, he's had that moment he deserves. He's done a lot for Australia. And yeah, day one will be David Warner's day. Um, Jono, where can the listeners catch you on Twitter? Catch me on Twitter at Jono Burrell. Perfect. Well, Jono, thanks for joining me. Listeners, Thanks very much for tuning into Cricket Unfiltered. We'll be back after every day of the test summer. And uh, I've been Manners and catch you soon. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.